Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Script Shop Show is here, everybody. It's sci-fi lunacy yes <laughs> this is Jack. i love chaos this is allison you guys have no idea please you tell. i was just gonna say i'm super stoked about this i was gonna script. tell them that, yeah. that this audience the audience has no idea how crazy excited you are I am. for this script okay so here's here's the thing um let's let's take a little detour and let's talk about an action movie right okay so action movies you start watching them and you're like oh there's no way anybody could like chop off everybody's heads at once <laughs> but, okay. but what if they could right and you see it happen in this movie so if you just suspend just a little tiny bit of disbelief if you just do that and allow yourself to be a part of this you have the most incredible experience you've ever had watching a movie and that's how i felt about this script is that it's, okay it starts out very normal and then it, it starts out like kind of like a drama and then something kind of yes wacky an absurd pops up and you're like, okay, what is this? And then another one pops up and you're like, what? (laughs) And then something else happens and it just snowballs into this incredible, absurd, what do I have here? A 106-page comedy and horror feature with absurdist themes Yes, is Zira and Conway by Nathaniel Garcia. That's it. This is something that Allison has been looking forward to talking to the screenwriter of and having people read for I made, weeks now. I'm, I was like, Jack, did you read this? Did you read this? Did you read this yet? What did you think? What did you think, Jack? Did you read this? Yeah. So we've we've got uh, the writer, Nathaniel Garcia, to talk to us about this completely buck wild script that he's written. It's, and it's wonderful. It's wonderfully it's done. Yeah. I know we're saying that it's uh, insane and it's crazy, but like it's also structurally Yes. Very sound. And that's what makes it work, which is why I'm very excited about it. Excellent. So if you do have something that you've written that you think is crazy insane and possibly also structurally sound, yeah. uh, you should submit it to us, scriptshopshow.com slash submit. And you can check all that out uh, on, on our, our website, website. scriptshopshow.com. Mm, I always love jinxing you on the show, and I held my tongue this time. Thank you. You're welcome. We don't have that kind of time. we got a lot to get into <laughs> with this. Uh, yeah, so let's just jump into a couple of the other things we talk about. Yeah. Um, of course, we've mentioned on the show before that we're going to be hosting a film festival here in Cincinnati. Yes. An amazing independent film festival for independent artists. It's called the Sendependent Film Festival. It's uh, developed and hosted by me, Allison West. This is her. This is her. You guys need to understand this is Allison's brainchild that she is putting into the world. Yeah. And it's it's going to be nuts. It's going to be amazing. And yeah. it just comes from my travels as a filmmaker as well and understanding that my community here in Cincinnati needs something like this. So if you are interested in showing your work with me, to my city, Cincinnati is not a small city, people, then hop on to filmfreeway.com to submit your your screenplay, your short, or your feature in any genre. I'm telling you, I love wacky stuff, and, and we need really great work here in the city. That's one of the things I'm looking forward to most is the way that we'll be able to show, because I'm, I'm helping you with it in, yeah. in, in a capacity, and 
I'm excited to show the city off to people. I know. I love I know. unlocking the secrets of this town to people who haven't been here because I, I love Cincinnati very much. And we have so many behind-the-scenes activities planned for filmmakers. Like Excellent. the filmmaker tour and then the different after parties in the different parts of downtown and everything, too. So it's a, it's a centrally located festival here in Cincinnati right in downtown with lots of great people um, being involved, plus a lot of contributions from Script Shop in terms of interviews and press and what we can get for filmmakers. That's great. Who travel here and are part of this festival. Looking forward to it very much. Uh, August 23rd, 24th, 25th, 2018. But we are currently open for submissions, so get online to filmfreeway.com or visit that festival at Syndependent filmfest.org to check everything out. Independent as in Cincinnati. You see how clever that is? Uh, also, we are taking your money. I'm just going to start embracing <laughs> this concept and stop you know, being lily-livered about it and say, hey, if, if, if you've got like, say, if you've got like a buck a month and you're like, oh, what am I going to do with this dollar? I got a dollar here in my pocket. It seems silly to keep it. I'm going to put it in an envelope and mail it to Jack and Allison. That's more or less what you would be doing if you checked us out on Patreon. It's Patreon. Is it? It's definitely Patreon. Is it, though? Yes. Frank, <laughs> what do you think? Frank, weigh in on this. Patreon. Yes. Ah. Anyway, we, we've, got, we've got some... Uh, Redhead, zero. <laughs> great. See what I did, though? You can't tell who's the winner or the loser because we're a team. I feel like we can tell, though. <laughs> I wasn't going to point it out, but it, you know, whatever. You can, uh, we've got a variety of uh, reward levels and stuff. If you do want to maybe financially contribute to help us grow the show, because that's really what it's yeah. about. We're not going to pocket the money so much as use it to. No, we're going to grow the show. Yeah, I want to yeah. do more with this, yeah. and we can if we have a little bit of scratch. So that's the idea behind it, it anyway. Yeah. And you can look us up on patreon.com, uh, script shop show. show. Yeah. And then, um, of course, follow us, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah. We're all over those things. We share news about the shows, but then also we love talking to you on those platforms. Um, it's a bit more interactive than us just talking on the podcast to each other and not actually to listeners. So please come on to any of our social media channels and chit chat with us. Yes. And now that the business is all done, let's get to the real show. Without any further ado, we Dun, need da, da, da. to introduce Nathaniel Garcia to the show. Nathaniel, hello from California. Hey everyone, how's it going? She's just, I'm just clapping. You've you. got a you've got a, an audience clap intro going on right now because you've got <laughs> some big fans of this uh, this this, One, this wild I, script. I love this script so much. I love it. Um, oh, thank you. You're welcome. So, could you let our listeners know where you are calling us from currently? I am in a motel in Vallejo, California. And what might have taken you out to Vallejo, California, Nathaniel? Mm. I'm in my last production day of, uh, of a short film that I'm working on called Esqueletos, Ooh, which uh, in Spanish means skeletons. Boom. And, um, Five years, yeah, AP Spanish. Yeah, we had a really crazy uh, three-day weekend shoot, and uh, this is our very last day. And um, so I got a little room up here in Vallejo, California, and uh, we're just wrapping that up. That's really exciting, though. I mean, first of all, productions are a big deal. You're calling us right in the middle of this last day. Yeah. That's, we really appreciate it. That's really, really That's super cool. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for, um, I mean, first of all, thank you so much for reading the script. Oh, and, uh, you're and welcome. I'm just really happy that you guys liked it. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk to us? What what role are you serving on Escaletos? Are you producing? Are you directing? It's Just since you're in the middle of this production, we, we need to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Sure. Um, I wrote it. And, uh, and I'm producing it. Um, usually in the past when I've done little short films of things that I've written, I've always written and directed it. Um, but this particular story is, um, 
it's just, it's very close to me. And so I thought having a little bit of distance would be good. So, uh, yeah. I got a really talented director on board and, um, and he's killing it out there. What is this one about? Um, Escaletos is about uh, a family, a Latino family. And um, we meet them on the day that uh, a very dark family secret came out. Uh, the father uh, has been having an affair for many, many years and has a child uh, that some people in the family knew and have kept a secret. Other people are finding out for the first time. And uh, so we see a very heated dinner between the family that results in a uh, in a horrible freak accident that the family has to deal with. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Does this have? Um, okay. So we talk about Zira Ann Conway being like um, a cultish type horror and absurdist film. Does Escaletos fall into that, or does it hit more of a? This feels more personal. Yeah, like a more dramatic vein. No, it's it's definitely personal. I would say it's both. I feel like I always got to put my spin on it, you know, that kind of uh, absurdist and dark spin. So okay. it has a it has a little twist in the end that's a little bit, um, you know, that's a little bit unexpected, I guess. Okay, because you've got you, Spanzo uh, is sort of like this. You you've done a series of these sort of horror absurdist stories before. That that's sort of the vein that you work in most. Yes, absolutely. And um, kind of the mission statement of uh, Spanso Media Productions is to do uh, video content. Uh, at this point, it's been short films, but media content that is absurd and macabre. So where does this come from in you? Were you like this as a little kid, just like walking around thinking of crazy, dark things? I think, yeah, I think I've just always had that interest Um I think the first film that really had a very deep impact on me, um, I have this like crystal clear memory. I remember I was 12 years old. It was a Saturday night. Um, I was up very late just watching TV, flipping channels. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they had uh, the remake, actually, not the original, but the remake of Night of the Living Dead as a midnight movie, uh, the one with Tom Savini. And, um, and I still just have these crystal clear memories of just being um, engrossed and invested in this story in a way that, um, I had never been engrossed before. Um, so I think from a very young age, I found myself, um, attracted and, and just really affected by, um, I think darker subject matter. And were you an artist when you were a young person or is it something that you grew into more when you were in your teens or twenties or just a little bit older? Uh, definitely grew into it as I got older. Um, my folks are, um, just, you know, very regular blue collar, uh, blue collar Latino family. Um, so there really wasn't a lot of art or creativity happening in the house. I didn't know any artists or anything directly. Um, but I just found myself kind of, I think you find yourself circling around a certain area and, um, and you just, you know, approach your interests. And so that's what I did. So I, I would say I got into it more as I got older. Um, I was always a big reader, though, through high school. Was it tough to sort of sell the idea of being more involved in the arts to folks that were maybe more used to more blue-collar work? That that feels like that might be a tough transition. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to this day. Yeah. <laughs> to this day. But here you are out, out there on set producing something. You're, something's being made as we speak. Yeah, that's true. It is. But, uh, but I find that, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just it's a little bit tougher to kind of uh, explain what it is that I do. And uh, I mean, they love movies. The one thing that I can say, I don't I don't mean it to talk badly about my family sure. at all. Um, but we um, we were definitely a movie family. And I feel like especially when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, um, it's kind of interesting now. But I feel like my we just they took us to everything. We saw everything when we were kids. Um, I have a memory of being um, just like really shocked and frightened by the scene in Fatal Attraction when she boils the bunnies. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think back of the time when that movie came out. So I would have been eight years old when we saw that. In the theater. Cool. Um, so, yeah. So they had very, so in some ways, um, you know, it's, it was kind of difficult to sort of explain the direction and to justify what I'm doing. But on the other hand, uh, I'm very much who I am because of them. What element does humor play in things? Because there's a lot of people that do horror and things like Night of the Living Dead or a lot of even current horror is more straight horror. Maybe it's a little more gore focused. The the torture porn version of horror films has been popular for a while now. You said we were talking before the show started that Sam Raimi was a big influence for you. Where does the where does the sort of humor and wacky absurd part come for you? Um, Yeah, I would definitely say kind of like from the B movies. one thing that I do, I found that it's a habit that kind of calms me down during production is, uh, I find myself watching the Tim Burton film, Ed Wood. Oh yeah. Um, I feel like I've been doing that for a few years now when we're doing production. Um, I just really like watching that movie and, uh, I feel like there's something about Ed Wood and his story and that approach to kind of sci-fi horror, uh, with this kind of like comedic edge that, uh, it just really appeals to me. So I guess in a lot of ways, maybe, Maybe Ed Wood is kind of the the Godfather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and if nothing else, how great is it just to watch Landau just slay in that movie? Oh, so great! Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that movie in oh, way too long. Oh, it's so good. I, I haven't have seen it in too long either. Yeah, I watched it in college for a class, and I think that was the last time I watched it. Yeah, um, and it's just, it's shot so beautifully. The cinematography is really something. Um, so, did you go to school for film and cinema? Um, I didn't actually. I um, I actually applied to uh, I applied to film school uh, where I went to undergrad and um, I was rejected. Um, so um, I entered in as an undeclared major at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, and then um, and then I just found myself really attracted over time to taking art classes, and I just really loved drawing and painting and. Uh, And they had a very well-rounded art education where I was doing um, a lot of photography, a lot of printmaking, things like that. Um, So my background is very much in art. Um, And then I always worked. I always worked through college. And then then, uh, there's a really great school in Southern California called CalArts, the California Institute of the Arts. And uh, I just really fell in love with the campus and the people that were teaching there. And um, so I put together a portfolio and I applied for graduate school at CalArts and I got accepted. And um, with some scholarships, I was able to finish my graduate education out there. And um, and I think what was really great for me about being at CalArts was uh, there's many graduate programs where they very much compartmentalize. So it's like you're working on your MFA, but you're working on um, painting or sculpture or ceramics or what have you. Um, CalArts is really wide open. Um, So there were a lot of people that were making all kinds of different work. And while I was there, they had really great facilities for digital filmmaking. So I found that I was making, um, I just really like making experimental kind of unusual films while I was there. And 
um, I think that was kind of my uh, my entrance into into filmmaking. And how cool is it that you're sort of in this environment where you're just surrounded by other different types of artists? That's got to be fantastic fuel. Oh, absolutely. And and especially at CalArts where, you know, you walk into the main auditorium area and uh, like, for instance, they have a variety of different art back- backgrounds. So you'll walk into this main grand auditorium and you'll see um, some like really unusual exhibition, student exhibition in this main grand entrance and, uh, and they also have a dance department, so there's you know dancers warming up or doing things. Yeah, and, uh, lots of inspiration. Yeah, I mean it 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 changed my life for mm-hmm. sure. That's cool. Yeah, and what did you find yourself doing right out of college? Um, right out of college, let's see. Um, uh, I had to get a job, uh, so I found a job uh, at a nonprofit uh, in the area. It was called Eagle Rock, uh, the Eagle Rock Center for the Arts. Um, so I was uh, helping out organizing after-school art classes at elementary schools and middle schools um, that were within the LAUSD school district. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was pretty much doing that, kind of more administrative, you know, full-time and um, living in a small space, not making a whole lot of money. And um, so I, I found that I returned to painting. I was painting a lot. And then... Um, and just kind of trying to figure out uh, writing in a very, very loose way. Um, and that was pretty much my habit. Uh, every morning I would wake up uh, at 7 a.m., I would have a cup of coffee, and I would just write before I had to go in. Um, a lot of times it was really bad. A lot of times it was just kind of stuff that I had done the day before or um, just kind of trying to figure out, um, I mean, in a really rudimentary way, just trying to figure out, like, what even is a story? What it, what what is interesting to people, you know? But that's I mean, you got to sort of jump through those. That's like when you're learning to play piano and you know what the scales are because that builds up your ability to start developing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. How many years do you think you've been writing now at this point? Like focused screenwriting yeah. or writing? Um, I would say focused writing. I would say about uh, ten years. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I always wrote even from the time. Um, I was in, I would say when I was about 13, when I was about in eighth grade was when I really began to keep, uh, journals and things like that. And I always wrote through high school and and I was always a very big reader. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, but in terms of really trying to write thinking that maybe I would have something to say or contribute, I would say it was shortly after grad school when I was about 28. And then, um, and then I was living in Las Vegas for a while and, uh, and I started taking, and I just really wanted to learn about the screenplay form. So uh, I took a few classes uh, at the community college in Las Vegas and um, learned. Uh, I had a really great teacher. His name was Robert Benedetto. And, uh, and he taught me about um, all those mechanics, you know, about uh, story structure and about formatting and, you know, all those basics. He recommended uh, uh, screenwriting programs and stuff. At that point, I just like I had no idea. I knew that I loved the movies, but I. I, I didn't really have any idea how to write one. So um, I feel like he kind of guided me on that. Yeah. Well, and I do think one of the reasons why Zero and Conway is so successful is because you build it structurally so well. And that by the time we're into the absurdity of it, it is snowballing out of control and you just have to lean in or else <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. else it's just a script somebody doesn't get anyway, you know? <laughs> right. That's that's the be all and all. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, I mean, I feel like a lot of that was definitely Bob. I feel like Bob really taught me that. And uh, 
And if anything, I think, I think when I was younger and kind of more rebellious, I found that it was kind of like, well, why do we need structure? Why can't you just have a movie be about anything? Like, why can't it be like slackers or something like that? Just like tell a, a, an organic narrative and just have it be what it, what it, whatever it wants to be. But, but then I actually found after I started taking classes with Bob, it was like, well, actually, if you have a pretty solid understanding of story structure, you can kind of go crazy within confines and, and the audience is more likely to be on board with you. They're going to get it. I love being able to reference like a teacher or somebody who, as you were trying to develop and grow as an artist and a creator, someone that sort that guided you and pushed you in the right direction. I love being able to do shout outs like that to people that had that kind of impact on people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like, um, my opinion, this is sort of like my hippie utopian idea is I feel like community colleges are super underutilized, especially in California. And, uh, I mean, yeah, a lot of this, I learned how to do this from a community college education. That's awesome. I really, I really, really love stuff like that. We should probably pivot. Let's, we let's, need to, <laughs> let's get into the we, script. We need to, we need to get into okay, this thing. How about, how about before we read the script, we uh-huh. do a layout that way people, okay. but here's the thing. I want to talk about the plot points. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because Jack usually talks about plot points for us. No, you need to, this. This is your. Okay. This is all the yeah. spotlights on you, girl. Okay. Great, Nathaniel. Back me up here, but I'm going to totally <laughs> launch into your story for the listeners, if that's okay with you. Sure. Okay. Great. Okay. <laughs> Let me just prepare myself. Okay. She's got to get into a headspace because this has been brewing for a while. I, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> Zira and Conway. Zira and Conway, as retold by Allison West. <laughs> Okay, so the movie opens, and we have a young mother at the mall with her son. And it's Christmas time. They're shopping. There's, like, lots of busyness and rush. And the son keeps saying, Mom, I need to see Santa. I need to see Santa. I need to see Santa. So finally, she lets him go to see Santa Claus, and she's paying out all of her stuff, and she's got her hands full of bags. It's taking forever at the register. She keeps seeing her son kind of, like, over the heads of other people, and she grabs all her bags. She walks over, and lo and behold, the person that she was watching the whole time is not her son. Yeah heartbreak and within she's lost her kid at the mall she lost her kid at the mall and within a montage we learn and this montage lets me know that this is not a serious event like this is not what the story is about see i was still at this point i was like holy cow this is this is this is a nightmare i thought this was going to be a serious drama that's okay well again and then i'm like (laughs) this is so good you're like i don't want to cry away my next hour and a half okay anyway so we go through a montage of this mother working on getting her son back and looking for him at the mall, not finding him, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, it just gets established that this child has disappeared. Yeah. Um, flash forward 10 years. 10 years later. 10 years later. And we see the same woman, but in a drastically different place in her life, where now she is like, she has, she doesn't have... She's got, I say dark hair as if that's a bad thing, but like her hair is drastically different. Scandal. She's. <laughs> <laughs> well, she and her husband aren't together anymore. Yeah, and their she's, relationship has completely fallen apart. She's sort of with a much younger woman. Yes. So um, she's doing all kinds of uh, deviant acts. You, you There's know, drugs. There's a lot of drugs. Drugs, sex, rock and roll. She works in a bar mm-hmm. and you can see that her life has just kind of like gone down the drain. She's just kind of coping with that now. Um, so, um, just to move the story along here, she ends up, uh, learning that her ex-husband's like out of prison. There's a private detective following her. 
she goes home and uh, her girlfriend's got this guy over and they all start getting into some crazy drugs. So they do this drug. What is the drug actually called? H1C. Nathaniel, could you let us know what the drug's called? Yeah, it's HR-71. HR-71, that's it. HR-71. So they're doing this crazy drug, HR-71, that has a lot of hallucination involved in it. Zero starts seeing all this stuff. Aliens are involved. Um, And then she comes to, she's still at the house. This is like page 20, by the way. (laughs) This is... Okay, I'm getting there, I'm getting there, I'm getting great. there. I just, there's so much that has yet to happen. I know, it's amazing. But basically, one of her friends ODs on the drugs and yeah. dies. Right. So the, there, we have this other whirlwind segment of Zero's life. Flash forward nine months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Zero's coming out of a, a sobriety meeting of any type of sorts. She's been sober on everything for nine months. She's got a nice, boring job that she just wants to do well in. Um, and she's going about her life. Well, it turns, oh gosh, she finds herself at the office late one night yes. and she has an alien baby. <laughs> she's having some gastrointestinal discomfort <laughs> and in the process of her dealing with said gastrointestinal discomfort, she, she has an alien baby birth to this wild monster that has a penchant for flesh. Flesh. So it's not just an alien baby, but it eats humans too. Nate, are we on the right path so are, far? Are with we this? doing it justice? You got it. Okay, great. Definitely on track. Yes. I love it so much. So she's kind of freaking out because she's got this alien cannibal baby now yes and uh, it eats a janitor jorge and uh she goes basically she gets back to her house she starts thinking about all the people she slept with in the last nine months and there's only one guy this one guy that she did all these crazy drugs with right nine months ago so um she gives him a call and she says what's up jack what what are these drugs that we're doing and he comes over they're checking everything out that's the scene we're going to read in just a few minutes listeners the baby keeps eating everything. They're trying to figure out how to feed it. They get in the car. I can't remember why they're getting in the car. Just because things are going bad and they eat Lorraine. Well, the go ahead, Nate. Please, they need to get away. They yeah. got to get away. Yeah, because um... <laughs> well, the tentacle monster that these the thing we didn't get into when this baby alien monster thing attacks people and kills them. The body that is left behind that it has just the person that it's just killed turns into this weird gelatinous tentacle monster yeah that then also needs to be dealt with yes and then the government's involved okay so they get in the car <laughs> so so the guy that's following zero in the beginning about the ex-husband getting out of prison etc yeah they he's trailing her and he's talking to the authority which ends up being like a group of high level political and military people in a situation room right. rejoicing that their creation from this drug HR 71 has resulted in this cannibal baby that they've designed to help them wipe out they're, basically the US as it stands. Yeah, they're purging. Yeah. They're 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 setting they're teeing it up for a purge. And then but it, but it's not just about the drugs and the government because as much as the alien things seem oh, like a hallucination. They're not. As they're escaping, Zira, um, and the and please, audience, know that this alien cannibal is, like, going out of control and throwing up all over the place. Because it doesn't like regular food. Yeah, and also eating a lot of people in the meantime. Right. But Zira is escaping. She's being trailed by all these people, and she's running through the woods at one point, and there's a spaceship in front of her. And it, she gets beamed up, and as she gets beamed up... The aliens up there are like, give me back my alien baby. And Zero's like, give me back my son. Right. Because she saw her son in the hallucination. 
when they were doing <laughs> HR 71 in the first place. Yeah, so yeah. there's a trade. Yeah. They trade alien baby for son, who lo and behold is actually an alien that you find out later when she gets back on the ground because he goes berserko when the government gets involved again, tries to separate him and eats everybody. It's a story of a gal just trying to make her way in the world and just trying to get her baby back. <laughs> it's wonderful. Nate, it's crazy. It's, it's it's really wild. Thank. You. I, I was glad that I just anything got else to read you'd it. like to add yeah, to this synopsis we've just laid out. No, I mean I think you guys definitely nailed it. That's it. That's <laughs> the thing is, is that I have love this story since I got into it and just kind of like found out what I was getting into. And I told my sweet husband, Philip, all about it Mm -hmm. in the car on the way to our birthing class. And it was just like so freaking funny to talk about. That's that's good birthing, (laughs) pre-birthing class conversation topics. Normal stuff for us. Very, very normal. Well, you're getting ready. You got to prepare for every scenario, right? (laughs) Cannibal, alien, baby, who knows? (laughs) Okay, so let's read a portion of the actual words because we do believe here on Script Shop that the artist's words are very important. And so um, we will be reading a larger selection from the script today about a good nine pages Um, Multiple characters, just because of the way the structure is, um, it really lends itself to grasping the entirety of the feeling of the script. So I'm going to actually be reading two characters. I will be reading for Zira, but then later on in the script we get introduced to a character named Lorraine. Are you going to do like a different voice or anything? Um, I mean, she's she's probably going to have a country accent because that's my easiest go-to. Does that work, Nate, if Lorraine has a country accent? Perfect. Okay, thank you for understanding. Um, Frank's going to do our action headings. Nathaniel on the phone is going to be reading for the authority. And then Jack will be reading duo characters as well. The character of Jack and then uh, the character of Raoul. And just to set up, Zira and Jack are in a relationship. Lorraine is Zira's um, like Alcohol Anonymous sponsor. Mm-hmm. The Raoul is a private detective. The authority is like the government. Yeah. Um, and then Frank's Frank reading the action headings. Frank's got a Frank. Frank's not a character. He's our producer, Frank. Frank is very much a character. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Frank has more character than all of us. Uh, okay. Does everybody feel ready to read this? Nate, do you feel like you're, you're in character to be an authority or the authority yeah, in this case? Okay. Perfect. Frank, you good? Yep. Okay. So whenever you're ready, Frank, you can start mm. with exterior. Exterior. Zero house. Morning. Raoul pulls up to Zero's house. He notices Jack's galaxy. Interior. Rouse van. Morning. He climbs into the back of the van, revealing surveillance equipment. In a few keystrokes, he's able to lock in on Zira's television and hear the conversation taking place between Zach, Zach and Zira. Jack Phillips is at the location. Patch us in. Interior. Zira house. Continuous. Zira's Samsung television transmits the audio to Raoul into the authority. Interior. Rouse van. Morning. All right, well, let's see it. Zira leads Jack into her bedroom, and the creature is on the bed. Jack creeps closely and looks at him. What is that thing? That's your son, Jack. Interior, Zira house, continuous. What's wrong with it? I don't know, but you're the only guy I've slept with, and that was nine months ago. You had no idea you were pregnant this entire time? No. And you haven't slept with anyone except me? Um, no. Well... Why does it look like that? Zira shrugs. Maybe it's a deformity from the, uh... From what? Zira pulls out an empty vial of HR-71. Nah, I've known tons of junkies. They never had babies that came out looking like this. Interior, Rao's van, morning. Rao is listening intently. What else could it be? Who knows? A million things. 
There's something else. Interior, Rao's van, morning. Rao watches Zira and Zach leave the house and walk to her Honda. She pops the trunk. Jack, startled, jumps back. Exterior, Zira's house, continuous. What is that? This is Jorge, the janitor. The baby ate him, and he became this. We see that the organism, once slimy and pulsating, is now deflated and ashy and dead. Interior, Rao's van, morning. Rao cannot make out what is inside Zira's trunk. What's happening? Unclear. They're looking at something in her trunk. Oh. There's a, uh, a baby inside. A baby? It sounds like a baby. Interior, Zira's house, morning. Zach and Zira, in- Zira enter the house and hear the creature crying. Is that how it cries? Zira nods and picks up the creature and tries to soothe it, but it will not stop crying. Maybe it's hungry. Suddenly, the creature begins choking and gagging. Oh my God, save it. Jack performs CPR on its hideous mouth. The creature... <coughs> The creature sputters and starts crying again. The damn thing bit me. Blood streams from Jack's mouth. He bit you because he's hungry. Zira rushes to the kitchen, ignoring Jack, and pulls milk from the refrigerator. She puts it on the stove. The creature continues crying. Zira finds a plastic glass to give to the creature. She pours the milk inside and brings it to his mouth. The moment the liquid touches the creature's lip, a blast of bilious yellow vomit shoots out of his mouth and hoses down Jack, who howls in disgust. Zero Zero watches him scream, covered in yellow, smoking vomit. The creature cries, too. Interior, Rao's van, continuous. Rao is listening via Sierra's Samsung smart television. The baby seems to have vomited all over the female, over. Interior, kitchen, day. Zira and Jack struggle to get the creature to eat something. They give him pureed vegetables, but he rejects it and sprays his bilious yellow vomit all over the kitchen. Jack gives him a chopped up piece of apple. But again, the creature rejects it and sprays vomit all over the kitchen. The vomit is everywhere now. It's dripping off the walls. I love that one. <laughs> Jack slips on it and crashes to the ground. HR-71 tablets spill out of his pocket like a busted pinata. Zira's eyes immediately go to the pills and as Jack collects them. The creature is wailing now. Jack looks at the wailing creature and notices razor-sharp teeth. He gets an idea. Jack rifles through Zira's refrigerator and sees a package of ground raw beef. He removes the plastic wrapping and the creature stops crying. He seems delighted by the smell of meat. Jack scoops out a small piece of meat with a spoon and holds it over the creature's face. The creature lunges for the meat like a crocodile. Jack lets him have it and the baby gobbles it right down. He likes raw meat. Jack scoops off an even bigger piece this time and the creature eats more of it. He's insatiable. He loves meat. Interior, Zira's living room, day. Zira and Jack sit on the sofa with the creature who is sleeping peacefully next to them. They watch a news segment on the Samsung television about a plane crash in Oregon. Zira looks down at the creature. Must be like a deformity or something. A deformity because of you or because of me? We don't know that this baby belongs to me. You're the only person I've slept with in the last nine months. Jack says nothing. I would never make something like this up. Zira stands up. She's incensed. You're such a fucking asshole. Shh. I'm standing here telling you the truth. I'm not trying to pin something on you. Zero reaches into her pocket and pulls out a pill. I think this shit fucked up your body, or it fucked up my body, and we made a fucked up baby. That's what I think. Jack shakes his head. Oh no? What's your take on it then? Who knows? Weird shit in the water. Pollution. Chemicals. 
fucking pesticides or some shit. Radio waves from our fucking phones. Who knows? Then why aren't there more babies like this than fucking cannibals with pointy heads and sharp teeth? Well, maybe there are. Zero sits back down. I have something to tell you. The night Vicky died, I had this experience. I thought it was the drugs, but now I'm not so sure. What happened? I had a dream. I don't know. There was a loud crash, and I was inside a spaceship. I saw aliens, and they implanted something into me. Into... Inside me. What do the aliens look like? Kind of like him. Big heads and black eyes. Teeth? I don't know. I didn't see teeth. Well, then what? I saw Billy. I saw him. I saw my little boy. He was in that ship. It was just the drugs. It was a bad trip that you imagined. Then what the fuck is this thing? This thing that came out of my body? Knock, knock, knock. Someone knocks on the front door. The creature stirs. What's that? Zero goes to the door. Oh my God. What? It's my sponsor. Your sponsor? I can hear you talking, Zira. Lorraine knocks again with greater force. The creature wakes and wails in an un- inhuman canter wall. Get it. Get the door. Jack picks up the creature and rocks it, but the baby will not stop crying. Lorraine continues pounding on the door. Interior, Rouse Van, day. The woman sponsors at the door checking in on her. Do not engage. Interior, living room, day. Zira opens the door with a false smile. Lorraine, how are you? Lorraine pushes herself into the house. All right, where is it at? She peers into Zira's eyes. Frank called and said you were no call, no show to work. Lorraine looks around and then grabs Zira. You're coming with me. Lorraine, stop! The creature cries off screen. Is that a baby? It's not a good time, Lorraine. Please, I'll call you later. Lorraine brushes Zira aside and follows the cries. Interior, Zira's bedroom, day. Lorraine finds Jack, rocking the swaddled crying creature. Who is this? Jack is an old friend. He surprised me this morning and showed up with his new baby. Hello, ma'am. How are you doing? Oh, I feel so silly now. It's okay. You're just being a good sponsor to me. Oh, okay. I'll get out of your hair. Could I just hold the baby first? Um, well, this baby is, um, difficult. Please, Zira. I just haven't held a baby in so long. Lorraine advances closer to the creature. Jack inches back. I just always want to hold the babies. Always. Every time I see them. I just think of them as the most wonderful little bundles of joy and... Lorraine, please. No! The creature launches from Jack's arms and latches onto Lorraine's neck and bites and tears at Lorraine's flesh. Ah! Interior, Rao's van, continuous. Rao hears Lorraine's death off screen. I think I should engage here. Do not engage. Interior, Zira's bedroom, morning. Zira tries to pull the creature off Lorraine, but he has latched on on with great tenacity. Lorraine flails about, then falls in a heap as the creature suckles at her bloody neck. Jack watches in disbelief. I think she's dead. Do you think so? What do we do? The creature is satisfied. And Zira picks it up. Step back. Suddenly, Lorraine's corpse begins mutating and bubbling and pulsating. She is transitioning into an organism. Oh, Jesus. That's what happened to Jorge. The organism gets bigger and bigger, pulsing and squirting liquid and growing tentacles that slap about. Let's get the fuck out of here. And scene! Another round of clapping. We got a lot to talk about here, Nate. I just can't. I don't even know where to start. (laughs) This is brilliant.
All right. Well, so let's let's start with a pretty general uh, question. Uh, any particular elements of this script that came from a certain place for you? Ideas that you've been kicking around? Where where does this story come from? Yeah, where the fuck does this come from? <laughs> where does it come from, man? Um, uh, hard, it's so hard to say. I mean, especially I think when you were a kid like me, that was. Um, I just watched so much stuff when I was a kid. It was just very much like a pastime, just like watching movies, watching anything. My mom always had VHS tapes from the video store and stuff like that. Um, So I feel like one of the movies that was definitely on my mind uh, was this old movie called Fire in the Sky. Hmm. Uh, It was about an alien uh, abduction uh, that that happened in Oregon. Um, The guy's name was Travis something or other. And, uh, so I feel like stuff like that, kind of like alien abduction stuff when I was a kid was always really horrifying to me because it seemed like something that um, just seemed like, I don't know, I guess when you're a kid, you kind of think like this kind of thing can happen every day. So I think that was something that um, kind of stood out to me was uh, an alien abduction film was something that I wanted. But then uh, another thing that I've noticed is um, I feel like there's a lot of people taking uh, this drug DMT and it seems like there's different versions of the drug that people will smoke or that people will drink in, in like ayahuasca ceremonies. And, um, and I feel like that's something that seems like it's in the culture. And it seems like folks that have um, taken certain versions of the drug talk about um, just like having really crazy experiences. And, and a lot of them talk about experiences where they said that they felt that they were communicating with alien entities and things like that. Oh, wow. Um, I don't have experience. I haven't had experiences like that myself, um, but uh, but it's definitely something that I've thought of that seems uh, like something that would be pretty cool in the story. Yeah. Okay, so you're, so you're just walking around your life, Nathaniel Garcia, doing movies and stuff, and you're just like, huh, okay, lots of uh, alien abductions and also this drug, and all of a sudden, jabam, <laughs> what happens if somebody takes this drug, but they actually get abducted, but they don't actually know? Is that kind of how you started this? Yeah, definitely, <laughs> and I would say that was something that I was thinking about, but the one thing that I definitely wanted to do um, uh, that I just I absolutely want to see is I want to see the scene um, where she births the baby. Yes. I want to, I want to see something like that on cinema. Describe that scene for our listeners. Oh, sure. So Zira is definitely in a place where she's now trying to clean up her life and, uh, you know, fly straight. Um, I feel like that's something that I definitely have experience with in my own life when you're just, uh, really just trying to do the right thing and do your job and be a good person. Um, and, um, and she, um, starts having stomach pains and uh and she basically goes into the bathroom um thinking that maybe she's just having some intestinal distress and instead she uh births this um horrific hideous cannibal kind of humanoid uh alien baby that's cannibalistic with razor sharp teeth and um and yeah that I mean that's something that uh, that I absolutely want to see. So that was a scene that was kind of like um, uh, like a keystone, I guess. It was something that um, I definitely wanted to have at some point in the film that was kind of like that linchpin. That's awesome. Can I ask you what exact? How does how does the process for writing a script like this work? Is it are are you writing it more for yourself than an audience? Are, are is there a pressure sense to top the last wild sequence with something even bigger? Um, 
let's see. It's hard to say. I'm I'm very much like a morning writer, and uh, and I don't do it all the time. But I go through periods when I'm like really trying to work on something and finish it. Where I get into this habit where I like to get up very early in the morning, and I'll have a cup of coffee, and I'll take a look at what I wrote the day before, and kind of get a gauge of where I'm at, and um, and just uh, just kind of put in the time. But I guess be open to the possibilities of where it could go, um, and then. I guess throughout the day, the regular day, I kind of think of, well, one thing I will say is I definitely know that's one thing I learned from Bob. I definitely know my plot points. Okay. So you lay out the plot points first before filling in the dialogue and the rest of the script. Yeah, absolutely. That is one thing. And I, and I know more or less like to the page where my plot point is going to be. So then, um, and I just really like working that way because then I know exactly where I need to get to. So I can just kind of like let my mind go free um, and kind of bring in a lot of crazy disparate elements. But as long as those plot point flags are, are planted in the sand, um, I, I always know where I, where I need to get to. And, um, and, and I know that it will make sense. I, I, I wanted to bring this up with you off the air before we got to recording, but I'm going to say it now that we're on the show. This, when I was halfway through reading this, all it, it dawned on me and it hit me like a ton of bricks because there is a little bit of a slow burn, at least when I was reading it. There was a little bit of a slow burn before the really capital R, really capital W wild stuff started happening. And then about halfway through it hit me, oh, this is a Sharknado, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so is it like that? Um, I think so, but I also kind of think if you're too, I, I guess I thought if it was like too wild right off the jump, then people wouldn't, I don't know if they're going to go through the ride. Okay. I think that there has to be something that is still somewhat grounded in reality. Yeah. And, um, and I think that that's, so that was definitely the idea for the inciting incident, the first thing that happens in the story where it was like, well, you really, you got to have something that's like universal. And um, I think the idea of like losing a child in the chaos that is Christmas is something that is, um, I think a lot of folks have, I'm sure had that fear before. Like they almost lost their kids in this like crazy crowd, so much chaos. You're so stressed out. And, uh, and it would be very easy to lose a kid in an environment like that. So I think the moment that that happens, I think the audience is going to be on board. And then, um, and then you can kind of take the story in really cool, weird ways uh, that are, you know, elements that are in movies that, you know, maybe me that I myself have had like really cool experiences with. So um, I don't know, like a lot of Cronenberg films and stuff like that with like really grotesque, like crazy things that are happening, like especially like bodily stuff, I think is so horrific. Yeah. Well, let's, if we go back to, you know, of course we talk about how brilliant it is in terms of being zany, but prior to that, in order to make any of that work, you have to have an established through line for your character. So Zira losing her son, not only do we see that happen in the beginning, but we also see her continue to struggle with that in the pages following. She, her life has spiraled out of control um, her girlfriend at the time asks her who Billy is because Billy comes up and that was the name of her son. Mm-hmm. Um, we see her continuing to deal with that loss as a character trait pretty much until she has the surprise alien baby. It's as a, opposed to it's a planned a, alien baby. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, keep going, keep going. Well, it's a, it's a surprise to everybody mm-hmm. at that point. So because it's such a 
a big surprise, we forget what kind of the thesis of the story was up to that point and where we thought it might go. That surprise washes everything we know out of our minds until the very, very end, where we see at the end Zira reconnecting with this desire to have her son back. And you're right that this kind of groundedness would only work in such a comedy if it if it had a through line, which this one does. Yeah, for sure. I And I think that's that's basically the backbone. And I think that um, when you think of really iconic characters or characters that I think audiences are on board with in movies, um, there's always uh, a primary drive that's behind the decision making. And um, I think that's another thing that once I kind of know those basic things, like what is the character's primary drive, basically like where is all this coming from, right? All these decisions, then um, it makes it a little bit easier than to kind of when you're improvising in the morning, when you're writing, if you if you know your character in that way. That makes sense. And then also establishing like actual relationships, that's what causes stakes for people, for the audience to actually care about stuff as the story plays out, regardless of how insane things happen are like you got to care about what happens to these people. For sure. Yeah. Um, How many times did you write this? What draft is this of the script? Uh, Man, that's a great question. Um, It's so hard to say in terms of, I guess, finished drafts, because I feel like I'm always changing it and changing different things and swapping stuff around, and there's so many notes and stuff. But in terms of like a finished draft where then I would actually show it to someone we would look at it, I guess guess this is probably about version three. Yeah. Version three. Yeah. Do you see, do you foresee any rewrites or do you see anything um, that you would want to change moving forward or are you pretty happy with it as is? Uh, I think as far as the script goes, I think I would probably leave it as is, but um, actually this made me think of an earlier question, but in terms of like who I'm, I'm writing it for. um, But I feel like when I'm writing, I'm always trying to write something that I feel that I myself could actually shoot. Um, So while I don't know that I would tinker too much with the script on its own, Um, I could see myself as I'm now like sketching this out and like truly storyboarding it and getting it ready to actually be a film. Um, I could anticipate certain things changing for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a fairly decent amount of like special effects, even, I mean, there's a lot of practical that I think you could do, but then there's also, it calls for just the alien world in and of itself and the orb that comes out of the lake. That's a decent amount of computer work that you would need to have done, right? I mean, that's one thing that I say, um, I've only been in the Bay Area for two years, but um, I feel like there's really like tremendous talent in the Bay Area in terms of visual effects people. Um, I think it just kind of goes hand in hand with the kind of technology uh, sort of thing that we have going on. Um, so I feel like uh, there's a lot of super talented people that I've talked to and really great resources where I feel like a, a lot of it would, some of it would be practical, of course. I would love to make... Um, I think the baby needs to be practical for yeah. sure. Um, but a lot of the other effects, um, I think, would be um, pretty interesting as digital effects. Mm-hmm. You know, it just hit me. I, 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 we were talking, talking about Ed Wood and various movies and stuff. Please, please, please tell me that you've seen Bad Milo. Bad Milo. Oh. No, I haven't seen that. Bad Milo, I feel like it would be really up your alley. It's, it's Ken Marino and Gillian Jacobs, and Ken Marino has a hemorrhoid 
that becomes like this little monster and it's sentient and like it sort of violently solves his problems for him. It's really over the top. It's really wild. And it, there's a whole family history that gets built into stuff. I would strongly recommend, after having read this script, Nate, that you check out Bad Milo. I loved Bad Milo. Oh, I'll definitely check it out. I love Ten Marino. I feel like I uh, that show, The State, in terms of absurdism, The State was huge for me as a teenager. And, Same uh, here. I love Ken Marino. I think you and I are very similar in age, and I spent a sizable portion of my time in high school with my friends writing down quotes from various episodes of the state and just passing around a notebook between us, trying to remember as best we could. (laughs) Yeah, that era, that MTV era, uh, Liquid TV and stuff, there was Mm -hmm. a lot of really... I mean, when you really think about it, a lot of like really radical storytelling was happening on late night MTV during those, that time. Yeah, because then and then that led into things like Syphil and Ollie. There was a ton of wild stuff happening on MTV there in that whole period of the '90s. Yeah, absolutely. If you were going to choose a celebrity lead, who would hmm. who would you put into Zira's role? If you could think of anybody off the top of your head, I know that's kind of a hard question sometimes. No, I um, I wrote it with Aubrey Plaza. And- oh, oh that's great. yes, that oh, makes that's so much. Call. That makes so much sense. It really does. Yeah, that. that was um, that was definitely when I was picturing it and envisioning it. I would say, um, yeah, pretty early on, I thought Aubrey Plaza. That's that was like the vibe that I wanted. Yeah, I, I totally it. get that. I feel it. That's it. Does it make so much sense now? Yeah, Jack? I, I, that hits that, everything that's about perfect. it. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then I also wanted to ask, too, I know that in the end, uh, Zira is reunited with her son, but then the son is just an organism. Well, why mm-hmm. was it important for you to, to kind of have that fall through there at the end? Um, I think that's my dark sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I never want to let my characters get off easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I want to I want to punish my characters for the wrongs that they've done in their lives. Um, so I feel like, uh, at the end of the day, um, I feel like my character hasn't been making good choices and it shouldn't work out that easily for her. Then now everything gets resolved with a bow in the end because, um, I don't feel like life works that way. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, big, like cosmic justice and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, um, I definitely think that way when I write my stories in terms of, uh, uh, I think a lot about morality and justice. Yeah. Do you know, if we had more time too, I would, I would love to debate the, like the good versus bad choices Mm -hmm. because there's 10 years that we miss of Zero's life. Right. But when we re-meet her again after that flashback, after she accidentally kills a friend, you know, by doing drugs and stuff. Well, or the aliens killed her because there's a whole abduction thing. Right. It's never really clear how Vicky died. Zero, she's trying. She really is trying. She's trying to keep her job. She's trying to be clean. She's trying to do the right thing. And then I would, I would... I would throw up that she gets, um, you know, she she has a surprise cannibal alien baby. That's that's a pretty good punishment, you know. Well, yeah, but then she also that's sort of stands true. idly by and lets it kill a bunch of people. Well, she doesn't know. She um, well, she does stand idly by. She doesn't kill it or anything, but she misses her son. That's why. Okay. Yeah. True. Um, anyway, yeah, so much debating to do and not ever enough time. Folks, in case you haven't noticed yet, you should strongly, we strongly encourage you to go on to scriptshopshow.com to read this. Yes. And Nathaniel, thank you a million times for sharing this with us because I, 
I I loved the script. I know I've said it a thousand times on the show already, but I did. I really loved it, and I loved what you did to my imagination by reading it. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, I I mean, I just uh, I just have so much love and appreciation when folks like take the time and and actually read it. So of course. Thank you so much. I love talking to you guys. Yeah, it's our pleasure. We um, you know, I know people in this industry when we share our work, it it sometimes goes unnoticed, but that is what we try to change here at Script Shop, where we want to work with people about their work and really use this as a platform for sharing people's stories. Mm -hmm. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with you about your work, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, They can go onto my website. Um, I have a, I'm kind of all over the place in terms of the the work that I do. Um, I do a lot of video stuff, but I also, I'm still a, I still paint um, and I still write. Um, so you can go onto my website, it's nathanielgarcia.com. So it's, uh, Nathaniel, like Nathaniel Hawthorne, N-A-T-H-A-N-I-E-L Garcia, G-A-R-C-I-A.com. Um, and, uh, I have a lot of contact information in there, or you can just email me right at info at nathanielgarcia.com. Great. Perfect. And we'll make sure that those contacts and stuff are on, uh, your little corner of our world on Script Shop Show. Dot com. Great. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Nathaniel. Thanks very much, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Wow. Well, that was... Uh, what do you got to say, Jack? I have, there's not a lot I have left do to say. Do you know, say. my interview questions are just like, OMG, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Uh-huh. And then it gets into themes. Politics, the lost child, the surrealism, da-da-da. Because I just knew we were going to get into everything about this script by talking about it. There's a lot. It covers a lot of ground. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I was standing back at one point as we were involved in a conversation about alien babies eating human flesh and monsters with tentacles. Like, I'm sitting back and, like, hearing you ask about, yeah, but it, it's because of mother instincts. Like, we're yeah. getting into, like, serious issues yes. as we're talking about. He does that with the script. I, it's perfect. I, I love this show because of that, honestly. Yeah, that we get to connect these insane. But, like, again, you said it, too. Like, why would anybody care about what happens to their characters if they don't have a real emotional connection to right. them? You know? Yeah, you got to get and the relationships he, first. He plants that in the story, which is what makes it work. Uh, if you have something that you think works and you'd like us to read it, you Dun, should da, da, da. email us. Uh, you should go to uh, scriptshopshow.com slash submit, and you can uh, send us your work. We would love to read it. We're constantly on the lookout for yeah. anybody who's written stuff. We're pretty open in terms of whether it's traditional or non-traditional, any kind of genre. Send it our way, and we'd love to check it out. Yeah, we have open minds about all of this stuff. So, friends, listeners, Jack and Frank, until next week, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West. Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to